Thanks, Russell. Good morning. Whoa, I hope I didn't just pl unplug anything. Sorry, Kayla. I think it was minor. Okay. Start out with a story this morning. We're looking at um, our series is Do You Really Believe? And we're looking at some verses. My guess is you've probably heard of You Reap What You Sow. Even if you haven't heard the verse it comes from, it's, it's a uh, part of the way that we think probably as people. Um, in 2001, this was a long time ago, maybe before some of you were even born. Um, there was very early phones that had internet on them, like the first ones, that, like they actually had a phone with internet. You guys aren't surprised, I don't know why. Well, there's a guy named Abe, and he figured out through early web phones and getting access to the internet through the library that he could start to define information about celebrities that was valuable. And he proceeded to find out information from celebrities, like where they, where they lived, and, and he uh, filed some change of addresses with USPS and he started getting some of their mail sent to his P.O. boxes because he's an identity thief. He ended up stealing uh, identities or partial identities of over 200 people on the Forbes list. 200 people on the Forbes list. He started to get bolder and bolder and uh, made up some, you know, fake G email accounts, not Gmail, that wasn't around yet, Yahoo email. And uh, they arrested him through a falsified Yahoo email because he had access to multiple billionaires' investment accounts. He tried to do a $10 million transfer from Merrill Lynch from one billionaire using one of these email, this Yahoo email address. It's the same address that we used for five other billionaire uh, Merrill Lynch accounts. And he got caught. <clears throat> Thankfully, since 2001, this whole industry called internet security has developed so people like Abe can't steal yours and my identities as easily. You, you might have this experience like I do, like my credit card company will call me once or twice a year just to make sure that some of my purchases actually are my purchases. In 2001, that wasn't really happening. You've probably heard the saying, so Abe got caught in the end. He fooled some of the people for some of the time. You've heard the saying, right? You can fool some of the people all of the time, or you can fool some of, all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. Today's verse that we're looking at in Galatians 6, verse 7 says something similar. You can fool, I'm going to paraphrase the first part of it, you can fool yourself some of the time, or you can fool yourself all of the time, but you can't fool God any of the time. Roman, or Galatians 6, 7 says this, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Abe eventually reaped what he sowed. Uh, he reaped deception, he reaped thievery, and eventually, I'm sorry, he sowed deception, he sowed thievery, and eventually he reaped what you get, eventually catches up with you. This morning, we're looking at this verse that you've probably heard before. 
And the first, we're going to look at it phrase by phrase. There's three distinct phrases, and we're just going to pause on each one and make a couple observations. Here's the first one. Don't be deceived. Now, if you think you're an exception, I, I'm guessing that you probably don't have as much protection of your identity as the Forbes 500 list. 200 of those individuals had their identities stolen. That's a lot. Um... Let's just make this observation. It is easy to become deceived in one way or another. It's easy. The reason why that phrase, don't be deceived, is there, by the way, it's in the Bible multiple times. We'll give you a couple other places. Um, is because we are prone to be deceived. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. We wouldn't have such a strong warning for that. That word is used frequently in the New Testament. It can mean, it, you know what it means. It means to be led astray. It means to be... Um, led into error or maybe sin, away from truth, maybe away from what is right or good, away from virtue. Jesus used the word. He, he says in Matthew 24, watch out that no one deceives you. By the way, I was supposed to announce that we had some, we had a couple of errors with our PowerPoints. There won't be slides this morning. They were able to fix it last week, but they couldn't fix it this week. We'll try to fix it, but we'll see. 1 Corinthians 15.33 is another place where it says, you've probably heard this phrase, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Probably heard that before. Um, the Apostle John says it in 1 John 1.8. He says, if you and I say to each other that we don't have any sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. I, that verse in particular hits home because I've learned over my life that I'm really good in, 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 in little ways especially, but in little and large ways, I'm, I'm really good at self-denial. I'm really good at telling myself one thing that isn't exactly or totally true. I'm really good at kind of rationalizing things to myself. And I think probably you and I are all, to some degrees, pretty good. Maybe even some of us are masters at self-deception. I want to point out in this passage in Galatians 6, 7, it can have very broad application. Do not be deceived. It can be applied broadly. God is not mocked. can be applied broadly. For whatever a person sows, that will he also reap can be applied broadly. And actually, I think there's great broad uh, applications to this. But Paul, who wrote this letter to a town, to a group of Christians in a city named Galatia, called Galatians, it's a letter to those who live in Galatia and are following Christ, he had really two specific deceptions in mind. They're fairly broad ones and cover a lot of life, but he's really talking about two main areas, and I think it's good for us to understand that because they're two main deceptions I think you and I tend to fall into. Here's the first deception, is that it really, really matters how I live so that I can be acceptable to God. Now, there's some truth in that. It does matter how you live. God does care how we live. Here's the lie, though, that after I've put my faith in Christ and what he's done for me, that I somehow have to keep working hard, or even before that, to change and clean up my life so that I will be acceptable to God. That's not true. Uh, there's one, there, this often leads to what I would call a shame-filled life, and you end up being incredibly performance-driven in how you live your life. It's exhausting. 
and it is not motivating. Galatians chapter 3, um, it's pretty funny actually what Paul says to this group of people that he loves and cares about. In college, we used to call each other what Paul calls the Galatians. He says this in Galatians 3, you foolish Galatians. You foolish Galatian, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eye, before your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly perceived as crucified. You saw it. You, you know that he was crucified. Who cast a spell on you? He says, I want to know one thing. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? Did you receive the spirit by how hard you worked at doing the right thing? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit? Are you now trying to finish with the flesh in your own power? You guys got things mixed up. So this church is prone to believing that even though they started right, they believed what was true, over time they began to think they had to add to it. We call that legalism today. That's one of the words that we use to describe that way of living. Here's the second line. It doesn't matter how you live because God's going to forgive me anyways. That's true. He is. He's willing to forgive anyone of anything. His forgiveness is that powerful, but there is a lie in there. This lie. You do you. I'll do me. Let's not judge each other. God's going to forgive us anyway. That often leads to a shameless, pleasure-driven life that is no less exhausting. Brazen, hedonistic lifestyle is exhausting. It'll wear you out. It's not living in the grace of God. And we're prone to those two deceptions. There's lots of other ones, but these are the main ones that, that Paul was addressing. Galatians 5 describes, 519 through 21 describes what it looks like when you choose to live your life, what comes out of your life. When you have sown seeds to the flesh for a long time, over time your life looks a certain way. It's not a pretty picture. I'll read it for you. Sorry, it's not on the screen. You'll have to open your Bible or your Bible app to follow along. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says here, this is obvious is what happens that comes out of the flesh when you live to live according to your own way of living. Here's what, here's the end result. This is the fruit that's produced. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Kind of ugly. Um, you probably see yourself like I have in portions of that list. Um, but then he says this, those who practice such things don't inherit the kingdom of God. And it's important to say it, it's those who practice those things. They've made it their habit. This is their way of life. It's evident that they're not living in the grace of God, so they can't inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, it's easy to become deceived. Two, de two main deceptions, okay? There's the two. Let's reframe it again. I have to work after I receive the gospel to earn God's favor, to make myself acceptable enough. That's one deception. Over here, I can do what I want because God's going to forgive me anyway, so it doesn't matter how I live. Paul's saying, don't be deceived. And then he's going to tell us why the rest of this, okay? God is not mocked. There's the next part. So don't be deceived. 
God is not mocked. That's the third phrase. And so here's the third truth is that God in his ways don't change. You can live how you want to live. You can choose to be deceived and live that like rigid, legalistic, there's only one way to live, there's only one way to gain God's favor, or it doesn't really matter how hard you try or what you do because God's going to forgive you anyways. That word mocked is literally has to do with like turning your nose up or sneering at God um, to make fun of. You know, to mock somebody is to, let's just say you, you notice somebody has like a nervous habit. If you were going to mock them, you would exaggerate that to poke fun at the fact that they have that habit, right? What we're doing, if we fall into one of these deceptions, is we're actually making fun of God's grace. On one side, we're saying, yeah, it's good enough, but not really. And then on the other side, we're saying it doesn't really matter how we live, which is also making fun of God's grace. It's mocking God. And, and Paul is saying, you, you can do that if you want, but God actually isn't mocked. Like, it doesn't stick. <clears throat> on one side, it's, it doesn't matter if you mock God's forgiveness in the one way, because forgiveness is meaningless. It doesn't really do anything to me. It doesn't affect how I live, or it really matters how I live. And what we're saying is forgiveness isn't enough. It's not effective. I still have to work for it. God says this. He says, you can thumb your nose at me and my grace if you want to, but here's the reality. This is how God always works. We, We addressed this last week. Multiple places in the scripture, it says, God gives his grace to the humble and he opposes the proud. And so if we're falling into one of those two deceptions, what's happening is we're really the proud person. We're saying, I actually know better than God. I will take his grace and reinterpret it and live the way that I think is best, whether it's on this side of the camp or on that side of the camp. And God says, you can try and I will let the lack of actual grace that you experience in my life be the teacher. And my hope and prayer is that you will become humble so that you actually can receive my grace because you won't get it on your own. Here's the third part. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And here's the third part. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. So for whatever a person sows, he will also reap. I'm going to rephrase that slightly to make it a little more accessible to you and I. And I'm going to say it this way. Small choices powerfully shape us. When you're sowing, you're sowing seeds that are very small. The Apostle Paul is using, Jesus used agriculture a lot in his examples. Paul does the same thing. Seeds are small. Right now it's harvest time um, around here, whether you have your own home garden or the fields around here. Um, that's when you get to pull in all those crops. It's actually, if you go want to go plant a garden, it's actually pretty easy to sow the seeds. I mean, that's not when the work ends for a garden, but sowing the seeds isn't that hard. I love the fact that Paul says, whatever a person sows, he will also reap. And, it, and on both sides, whether it's all the way on the side of I'm doing my own thing completely in, a, in rebellion to God, or I'm doing... I'm, I'm trying to sow things to the Spirit so that I experience the life, the full life of God. It's all small little choices that we're sowing over a long period of time that grow and, and produce fruit in our lives. So in our garden, uh, we have a, a vegetable garden. It's really my, mostly my wife's domain. I support her. I do like a lot of the heavy lifting. I 
use our garden tractor to move stuff around and help her get the soil ready and all that stuff, but it's really her baby. So we planted, she planted, when I say we, it's always she when it has to do with the garden, just so you know. We planted cantaloupe and cucumbers, we usually do, and we've, in the habit, we've gotten into the habit of like keeping seeds from year to year, so we just don't buy seeds, we keep a bunch of cantaloupe seeds and then dry them out, and then we plant the next ones the next year. Well, after the seeds were planted, and the cantaloupe patch is like right next to the cucumber patch because they're viney and they kind of grow all over the place. You kind of put them in the same area so they don't like climb into your beans and stuff like that or tomatoes or whatever. She thought, I don't look like too many of these are cucumbers coming up. The leaves look a little funny. Well, it turns out that none of them were. They're all cantaloupe. And actually, if, you, if I gave you a handful of cantaloupe seed and a handful of cucumber seed and I asked you, could you tell me which is which? You wouldn't be able to tell, my guess is. You might get lucky, it's a 50-50 chance, right? Well, I don't exactly know what happened if the cantaloupe seeds got put into the cucumber envelope or if she just picked up the cucumber envelope or the cantaloupe envelope twice, but you know what happens? If you plant cantaloupe seeds expecting cucumbers, they don't come up. I mean, that was like a, we were just astounded by that. Thankfully, we have generous friends and neighbors who shared their overabundance of cucumbers and we were supplied with enough cucumbers to make pickles and all those kinds of things this year. But here's the, I'm gonna point to the reality that Paul is pointing to in this verse, is that the garden of your life right now is growing and producing fruit that exactly aligns to the seeds you've been sowing into your life the last weeks, months, and years. Exactly. Aligns to it. Now, I'm not saying circumstances don't happen. Sometimes we have like a crazy flood that washes out stuff in our garden or we have drought that we couldn't control. But whatever fruit, or whatever plants do grow and whatever fruit is produced, it's because of whatever seeds got put in the ground. And so your life and my life are the same. Whatever is coming out of our life right now lines up exactly with whatever we sowed into our life sometime previous. So if you're here today and you feel like your friendships or your relationships are kind of a mess, or maybe you're always angry and feel like you're constantly ranting about something, or maybe you're just completely discontent and nothing's really ever going good in your life, that's at least that's how it looks to you, maybe you're here, you have an addiction. Maybe you're a college student that is on the verge of failing out of some of your classes. Maybe you're here and you feel pretty far from God. I'm going to share a hard reality with you. I already shared it once. Shoot straight with you. You're probably reaping fruit due to the seeds that you've sown in the past part of your life. Now, that's the bad news. But you got it's just reality, guys. It's just reality. We, and we can recognize that and take responsibility for it. You can't go back and sow seeds in the past, right? They say the best time to plant a tree fruit tree or any kind of tree was five years ago. And the next best time to plant a tree is today. <laughs> and that's the case with sowing seeds in our lives too. You might be here in one of those situations and you know what? You can't do anything about what was planted last week or last month or two years ago. But you know what you can do today? You can sow whatever kind of seeds you want. There's hope in that. God gives his grace to the humble. 
And he says, you can recognize you've been living one way and repent of that and turn around and you can start sowing seeds to the Spirit today. And I think that's the hope in this passage. Verse 7 says, don't be deceived. We talked about it already. God is not mocked for whatever a person sows, that will be also reap. And then the verse 8 goes on and it describes what kind of fruit that looks like. It says, because the one who sows to his flesh, flesh represents your sinfulness, your selfishness, the, what, the part of you that just does what it wants. The one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. That word destruction sometimes is corruption. Can I tell you what it really is? It's decomposition. It's like stuff that's dead and not just dead, but it's decomposing. You ever been around some old, have you guys left some like, you know, you know why if you leave chicken too long in the fridge, it's been there too long, you forgot it, you put it behind the ranch and the orange juice and everything else. And you're like, oh man, I put that in there like 14 days ago and you take it out. It doesn't smell so fresh. It's because it's starting to decompose. It's going bad, it's rotting. Who knows what durian fruit is? Anyone heard of durian? It's the stinkiest fruit on the planet. Grows in Malaysia. I had a picture of it in my slides. I, I don't think we have it because they didn't work. Kind of looks like a little like prickly, pokey football, green football with like brown nubby spiky things on it. And it's actually, most places in Malaysia, you're not allowed to open one up like at a public place. It smells so bad. Let me, let me tell you what dur durian smells like. You might be interested in going out and buying one of these or getting one sent to you. It's a combination of sulfur, sewage, fruit, honey, and rotting roasted onions. Sounds good. Another person described it as turpentine and onions garnished with a gym sock. Mmm. Uh, one uh, blogger that I found, that I love this description, kind of a little bit longer. To try to picture what durian smells like, imagine if fruit was stored in a teenage boy's sweaty gym sock. The scent was thick and funky, like cutting onions, but mixed with that ripe fruit smell you get from over soft mango. It definitely has elements of garlic and rotten egg. It smelled like a girl's seventh grade gym class, a mix of B.O. and melon-scented body mist. Like fruit funk, the sticky parts of the floor in an Asian market, a lit candle that is sandalwood and stress sweat scented. Delightful. Fruity perfume sprayed on blue cheese. Vanilla pudding being cooked in a public bathroom. Really descriptive words there. So I know all of you are like, let's go get some of this. It's got something like 44 active compounds, things that have that similar things in skunk, caramel, rotten egg, fruit, and soup seasoning. Okay, you get the point. What we can produce with our lives is just that word destruction, corruption, is like rottenness. But I kind of like the, the description of durian because actually what I've been told, I'm not sure if I'm brave enough to try it, probably would if I was given the opportunity, is that although it smells really bad, the flavor is different from the smell. Of course, that's hard because smell and flavor for most of us get mixed together and it's pretty hard to separate one from the other. But it's an acquired taste and it actually does have a sweet flavor. Apparently, the fruit is, is fairly sweet. But that smell of something sweet in the midst of something rotten, I kind of think that's how most of the works of the flesh work. There's something in there that is kind of like, I kind of want it, but then over time, actually, no, it really smells rotten. It actually is rotten underneath it all. It stinks. It can't really be consumed. 
There's, there's two ways, as I said before, to sow to the flesh. One of them looks nicer and tidier to us Christians than the other. The first version I told you about is doing good in your own power. I want to just tell you that it is just as rotten as doing whatever you want in rebellion to God in your own power. It just, you know, the sweet part maybe hits you a little bit more first, but later on, it's decomposing. Both of them end in destruction. Okay, so let's look at the good news. What happens when you sow to the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the, some of you can probably say this with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what comes out of small seeds sown to the Spirit. And by and large, I just want to point out that this is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit, like many kids' books, ones that we have in our house even talk about it as fruits. It's actually fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to just ask you something. Can you have can you have kindness and gentleness in your life and just be bereft of patience? No patience. Really? That doesn't work. Okay, let's try another one. How about you have joy and peace, but you're completely unfaithful? That doesn't work either. Okay, love and goodness, but you have no self-control. It doesn't work. They actually come kind of in a package deal. It's different descriptions of what the fruit of the Spirit is like, not necessarily different fruits of the Spirit. So how do you sow seeds to the flesh? Abe, Abe, the identity thief, did not start out trying to steal $10 million from a billionaire. He started with small, little seeds to see what he could get away with as he was on that library computer or his internet phone to see what he could actually get away with. And he got bolder and bolder and bolder. It's the same when you sow to the Spirit. You don't have to start huge. You've probably heard a story like this. A farmer had a visitor who was from the city, and he gave him a tour of his farm, showed him all the animals, showed him his barns, his equipment, and as they walked around, his two farm dogs kind of followed them along, as farm dogs are prone to do, maybe a little annoyingly so. And after the tour, the farmer's friend and uh, and, and the farmer sat on the porch out front on his house enjoying a glass of iced tea when all of a sudden the two farm dogs started fighting. And it got to be less than playful. It seemed a little vicious and the, and the farmer's visitor was like, aren't you going to do anything about that? The farmer said, no, nah, they'll figure it out. Because he didn't really feel comfortable with the situation. The visitor asked, well, okay, well, well which one of them usually wins? And the farmer said, the one that I feed the best. And it's the same with the flesh and the spirit in us. It's pretty much what Paul says in Galatians 5.17. He says, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other. They're fighting so that you don't do what you want. And the one that wins is the one that you're sowing to most regularly. The flesh or the spirit, whichever you sow to, whichever you feed, will win. So how do you feed seeds to the Spirit? There's a lot that you can say about this. I'm just going to take two simple examples that you can apply in many different ways in your life. But two simple examples. Let's just say, let's use prayer as an example. How could you sow to the Spirit in the area of prayer? Let's just say prayer is something that you're not very good at. 
Well, maybe you even would say that you're, you stink at it. Let's just say that, you stink. You're not good at it. You have never figured it out. Let's just say you wanted to try it out. So what if you just tried it out and just said, I'm gonna try to pray for five minutes, or 10 minutes, or 15 minutes, okay? Just five, 10, or 15 minutes a day. And can we agree that five, 10, or 15 minutes is a small amount of time? Can we agree on that? 15, five, 10, 15. Like for me, 15 minutes, like um, we live a little over 15 minutes away. So if I were in the office and drove home, I could just use that 15 minute drive to do this, right? 15 minutes. You could probably do the same thing for you, driving to Walmart, to pray on the way to Walmart or something like that. Or while you're waiting for your child to get done with one of their sporting activities or anything. There's 15 minute little things. Let's just use 15 minutes, okay? So 15 minutes a day. If you decide to do that every day, and now I get, we probably missed a day here or there, but you know what? You know how many minutes of prayer you would pray in a year if you just prayed 15 minutes a day? Over 5,000. You know how many hours that is? It's over 90 hours. So if you just decide 15 minutes a day, I'm going to pray, you'll end up praying over four days this next year. Four days. Anybody think they can play pray four days right now? Just four days straight? No, me either. I don't think I could do that either. Okay, so let's just take, take like the scriptures. Let's, let's just say you took five minutes. It's about five minutes to maybe read a chapter out of the Bible. And rather than just trying to read it, check the box and close it, you just try to try a verse or a phrase, just one verse or a phrase that you're going to hang on to throughout the day. Just like a short phrase or verse. Like today I read um, in Psalms 8 and then I read 38 and 68 and 98 and you go on. Read three or four Psalms, five Psalms actually. So... This morning I read Psalm 8, and uh, let's see, my verse that I, read, that, I, that I wrote down is, Psalm 8 is about the beauty of God and the man, how he created all of creation. And then it says, after talking about, God, it's amazing how you made the sun and the moon. And then, and then the psalmist says, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. What if you just took a phrase like that and you just said, I'm just trying to think of that here and there throughout the day. And you just brought it to mind kind of mulled on it, you just thought about it. So what if you did that every day and you'd had 365 of those personal thoughts, messages that God gives you throughout the day? So three, well, let's just say you missed a few, you got 300, or maybe a bunch, 200. Let's just say you got two or 300 messages from God a day. What do you think the impact would be in your life? If you come to church every Sunday, which almost none of us do, I don't even get here every Sunday. 52 messages a year is all you get. 200, that's four times, or 300, that's six times the messages that you would hear from God that has a chance to change your life. So why am I saying this? Because I'm just saying a little seed, five minutes in the Bible, 15 minutes of prayer, can produce fruit in us. And you know what happens? You know why we don't do that? It's because we just think, I got to read the whole Bible in a year, maybe twice. Or I got to figure out how to pray an hour every day because I think I, I got so much to pray for. And so we don't have them. We try it for a couple days and we get burnt out and we don't do it anymore. Or we just never start and we open our book, or that app on our phone, we play that game one more time just to like get the sort of feeling bad, the bad feeling of knowing that we're not doing that off of us, trying to shake it off. Small seeds, guys, five minutes, five minutes can have an influence and impact in our lives. The reason why we don't do it, it's the first part, because we are deceived. We think five minutes won't do anything. 
what, what, what can five minutes do? And in fact, if you think about it in a day, it feels like it wouldn't do much, but five minutes every day, 15 minutes every day, it adds up. It builds something. I gotta take something out of my wallet. <clears throat> I had a cup of tea yesterday. This is my tag of the tea. I have quotes on it sometimes. This is uh, Aeschylus. I, he must be Greek or Roman or something. Someone smart probably can tell me about it afterwards. This just happened to me with my tea yesterday. From a small seed, a mighty trunk may grow. That was my tea yesterday. Thanks, Lord. I'll take that. Stick it in my wallet. That's true. A small seed, guys, five minutes, 15 minutes a day can grow you into a mighty oak tree of a follower of Christ. The, the Bible app on our, on our phones, most of us have the same app on our phone, the Bible app. And there's reading plans on there. And it probably takes you a couple minutes a day to like read a little bit of, a, of the Bible every day. Like that's a small seed. Many of you are already doing this. Good job. I trust that you're probably growing into a mighty trunk or a mighty tree. That those kind of little seeds that we take and plant in our lives can actually bear fruit. My guess is if you chose five minutes a day to read a chapter versus not reading a chapter and you looked at your life, let's just look at the fruit of the Spirit. What is different in my life? Just, I, I probably won't recommend that you take a whole year to do this because that would, but my guess is that you would say at the end of that year, love, you do it for a couple months. The, my love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous. I bet you'll see the, a moving of the needle somehow, even just starting to plant small seed like that. So here's my main, my main thought this morning, and I said it once. The garden of your life, the garden of my life, is producing fruit that exactly aligns with the seeds that I and you have been sowing over the last few weeks, months, and years. But here's the good news. The garden of your life will produce fruit that exactly aligns with the seeds that you decide to plant today, tomorrow, next week and next month, and it can be different fruit, fruit of the Spirit. The truth that we're looking at this morning that I think we tend to not believe, if you looked at, if you looked at the handful of seeds, if you didn't know anything about gardening, look the handful of cucumber seeds that we planted, which were actually cantaloupe seeds. You, it would be hard to believe that that little tiny, I mean, it's like, it, you couldn't even see it in my hand from here if I showed you it. It just, you know, we have like a wheelbarrow full of cantaloupe just from a couple of seeds, just like a half a wheelbarrow, something like that. Just from a few seeds. If we really believe that you reap what you sow, we believe that a little seed, day after day, week after week, month after month, can actually produce something really great in our lives. Let's stand for closing prayer. Worship team will come up and we'll sing a song together.